Hello and welcome to the Pastor Mike Drop Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Mike, and I'm joined by a really brilliant and humorous panel today. We've been having so much fun just leading <laughs> yes. up to the to the beginning of this podcast. And as always, my co-host, Emily. Hello. Hi, Emily. How was your fourth? It was pretty good. How about yours? Well, because today's the fifth, in case people are watching us yeah. three years later and sure. uh, on demand. And they're, what, fourth? The, what? The fourth of what? Yeah, yeah. This, yeah. Is, this is September, they say. But, <laughs> but it was it's the fifth of July today, which yeah. means yesterday we all celebrated Independence Day. And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Emily... Yes. From our conversation we just had, which I mentioned yes. previously, I know that you made. Tell us what you made. It's a not fourth, bragging if it's true. Just tell fourth us. Fourth of July charcuterie board with and snacks that are beautiful. all red, white, and blue, and watermelon cut into the shape of stars. It's phenomenal. It's it was just great. phenomenal. You you really need to post this. It was great. Yeah. So look for this. Look for a picture <laughs> of this on Emily's Instagram yeah. page. See, I'm. I'm Peer pressuring you to post you this go. now. There you go. Um, it even had red, white, and blue chips, right? Yeah. How do you find red chips? I went to four different stores. <laughs> <laughs> that, no, that's Anything dedication. that was red, white, or blue, I bought it. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. And we're joined today by? Yes, Pastor Ben Mason and men's minister Chris Kimston. Hi, guys. Howdy. Welcome was, back. Yeah, welcome Glad back, to guys. Two, two brilliant pastors, and not only that, but probably the best guitar-playing pastors in all of Iowa. Uh, Nick's right pretty here. great too. Yeah, Nick, 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 Nick is really one, good. Yeah. Sorry, I forgot. Really That's right. Good. We have three great guitar playing pastors and one organist. And and, yeah. and me. Well, <laughs> Mark Brand plays guitar and, and sings. Fu- yes. You know, and he he's more of a singer. I don't know if yeah. he'd say that, but I think yeah. he would say. Will Pyle is a great violinist, and he would he'll be what? so really? mad if he hears that I say this, which is why oh, Will is saying it. So now he know. Yeah, he already has heard it. He's yes. the man. That's good. That's good. Other uh, talents. A lot of talents. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Musical talents in addition to your theological brilliance. And on that note, let's we're, dive into We're going to tap into that today. Yeah. So let's ask some <laughs> questions. Ted? Why don't we just jump right in? Anybody got any questions? Oh, yeah. No, should have saw that coming. Okay. Looking at our readings from 1 Corinthians, how does Paul's assumption that Jesus would return in his lifetime affect his directives for those who are married, single, circumcised, slaves, and even shoppers in 1 Corinthians 7. Yeah. Uh, in a nutshell, what Paul is saying here, because 1 Corinthians 7 can be a little confusing. It's it's sort of a conclusion to some of the chapters that led up to it, but it's also Paul making a bigger point. And I think we don't want to lose sight of the bigger point in order to get into the minutia. Mm-hmm. The minutia is fun. The details are fun. But the bigger point is this. Stay focused on Jesus. Keep yeah. keep your eyes on Christ. Don't let the secondary things become the primary things. But also this eschatological aspect, and eschatological is just a 25-cent word for a, a five-cent definition, mm-hmm. is knowing that Christ is coming back, See, knowing that in the end, this is how it's going to end. Christ is going to come back and there's going to be a victory. Paul believed that that would happen shortly. Paul believed that that was coming not just soon, but very soon, and probably before he died. N.T. Wright writes about this, and he says, between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul had a little change of heart on that one. By 2 Corinthians, Paul started to realize, I think I'm going to die before Jesus comes back. And so he had a little different tone. But here in his first letter to the Corinthians, because he thinks Jesus is coming back, he's saying, look, no need no need to change your social statuses, your marital status, no need to, to adjust those things, because it could become a distraction if, if you're making that the main thing of your life mm-hmm. on something that's far more urgent, because what matters in the end is not our social status. It's not whether we're married or single or any of the other things Paul addresses in First Corinthians 7. What matters is that we're connected to Christ. Right. And, and I think you can take that too far and use that as a way of dismissing Scripture. Say, well, he just thought that Jesus was going to come back. So what he's saying doesn't really matter because he was mistaken. Well... I, and I'm not saying you're doing that. I'm saying you could do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I think we can take from 1 Corinthians 7 is he's trying to answer the questions that specific people had, and he it was in a specific For context. Sure. And when we read 1 Corinthians and a lot of the books in the New Testament, we're reading other people's mail. And you have to remember, this is not written to us. It is absolutely written for us, but it's not written to us. It's written to the Corinthians. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, he, he's answering questions. He says at the beginning, now regarding the questions you asked in your letter, we don't know exactly what those questions were. 
So they had specific questions, and some of them you can kind of get from the context. You kind of understand what the questions were they were asking. But this letter is actually a response to a letter that the Corinthian church sent to him, Mm -hmm. and we don't have that letter. And so that's part of what makes 1 Corinthians 7 confusing. We have to take the cultural context. We have to take this as a context of a relationship, and there's a specific situation we're not so sure about that helps us understand what is going on in that in that particular chapter, that particular book. Well, we can take it the opposite too, right? Where we go, instead of, do you think Jesus is coming right now, you know, back? Mm -hmm. uh, For those of us living a couple thousand years later, we're going, oh, well, yeah, I believe that Jesus is coming back. But like, you can can profess that belief and yet not live in a way that speaks of that belief. Mm -hmm. Like, we are all, like... procrastination is a survival trait in some ways, right? Like uh, necessity breeds innovation. And so like the idea that something is happening soon spurs on action. And so I think that it's just important to recognize, even if you, if, even if I don't have marked on my calendar that Jesus is coming back next week, totally could. Mm -hmm. And it's not a bad way to live. No, No. not at all. All of us should in, in, in a very general sense without getting, like you say, obsessed about it. We, we, right. we can go too far, mm-hmm. yeah. and everything is always about, well, Jesus might come back today, so I'm not going to bother you know, making lunch. Or, uh, yeah. it, Luther said, if I knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, I'd plant a tree today. Legend has it that he said that. And so mm-hmm. what he's saying is, if my spiritual house is in order... I really don't need to scramble in order right. to get ready. It's not not some urgent last second, oh my goodness, company's coming over, throw everything in the closet right. and, and, and jam that thing shut so everybody thinks our living room is clean or something. It, it, let's be ready now. Let, yeah. let, get your spiritual house in order. Paul will talk about that later in, in his epistles that we are going to read as we move through the New Testament. But I think the three of us collectively are kind of all saying the same thing, which is... Um, since Paul believed this in such an, such an urgent way, mm-hmm. he was saying things that absolutely did matter, and specifically to the questions that we don't know for sure what they were asking. Although if Paul's answering questions saying, hey, don't get married, uh, or you don't have to get married, you can if you want. There's no sin if you do. Right. But if you don't, that's okay too, or is single or married or whatever. So clearly they have to be asking something ab- about that, mm-hmm. right. like marital status stuff, sure. social status stuff. So we can get a little bit of a sense of what questions they're asking. But then you need to look. I think it's important for us as faithful Bible readers today. Ben, you put that so well. It's not written to us, but it's written for us. Mm -hmm. So what's the for us part of this? Well, let's find the transferable principles. Let's find the stuff that's timeless. Let's find the stuff that stands out. And then that gets back, I think, to the original point. Stay focused on Jesus. Keep keep your eyes on Christ. And that's whether you're a first century Corinthian or a 21st century um, Christian today in our world. That's the transferable, timeless truth that we all uh, could do well to practice and apply into our daily lives. So the for us part for me is there's a lot of people that really get hung up on their marital status as their identity. and I want, Too much so. Too much yeah. so. It, yeah. As a married person or as a single person. Uh, and I think what we can take from this is Paul is saying that's not where your identity comes from. It right. comes from Christ. Right, and right. fundamentally it's it's about Christ, you know, and uh, how we relate to each other is... Uh, uh, secondary, secondary, and and then um, it flows from our identity in Christ. And when you put first things first, all these other things fall into place. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It's also a it's also an encouraging word in a culture that says, "Well, you have to be married, or you have to be this in this place in in life socially right. in order to really be full." Paul's single, and and he makes it very clear. He says, "Yeah, it'd be better if you could all be single like me." Right. That might be a little more Paul than the Lord, yeah. uh, but but he, he's putting it out there to say. You don't, and you know, I was talking to somebody else in our church staff who's single. Said, "I don't need to be married to be, have a fulfilled life. Uh, I'm fulfilled in my relationship with Christ right. because that's primary." Right now, if doesn't mean if you want to be married that you shouldn't want to be married. There's nothing sinful about wanting to be married and right. pursuing that. Right, that's kind of Paul's point. Let's just all relax a little bit, <laughs> yeah. a little bit on all this for stuff, sure. and not make people feel like they're less than because of some sort of social status. Which yeah. is exactly what's happened in Corinth because people are saying, well, you know, I'm, I have a higher status spiritually because I'm celibate or I have a higher status mm-hmm. uh, spiritually because I'm fulfilling God's 
command to be fruitful and multiply. And I think Paul's saying, you're missing the point, and this is uh, when you take the larger context of Corinthians, like, why are you dividing over such silly things? Why are you lording your situation over somebody else's? Yeah. Which leads into our next question. Yeah. First Corinthians 8, 9 says, be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. What does it mean and not mean to be free in Christ? Yeah. So, uh, again, taking the context of the culture, you know, uh, when you lived in Corinth in the first century AD, uh, what they would do in this pagan city was sacrifice the meat to an idol, to a god, and then put it in the market. So if you went to the market to buy meat, like let's say you went to Hy-Vee or Fairway in first century Corinth, um, everything that you could buy was sacrificed to an idol. Well, we don't believe in idols as Christians, and the first uh, century Corinth Corinthian Christians didn't either, and a lot of people were really worried about this. Well, mm-hmm. Paul is saying, like... Those idols, they're not real, right. you know. And, and and he gets this from the Old Testament. That's good. Like uh, uh, Jeremiah talks about, look at the God you worship. You have to nail his feet to the floor so it doesn't fall over. Like he, he has a mouth, but he doesn't speak, and he has ears, but he doesn't hear. So why are you worshiping that piece of wood? <laughs> and and um, when when you're in this place, uh, there are some people that were. They were scared because they used to believe that that piece of wood was actually a god, and now they don't. So you're saying the red, white, and blue chips that Emily served yesterday, even if they were sacrificed to idols, it'd be okay for her to eat them? That's what Paul's saying. Yeah, exactly. It it really is. He's saying, look, idols are nothing. And I'm not suggesting your chips were sacrificed to to false gods. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, so when, when when you eat something, the idol that that was sacrificed was nothing so you don't have to worry about being having your conscience be burdened by that not being true well and then so what happens if there's somebody that's been a christian 2 weeks yeah and they like 2 weeks ago they were worshiping that idol and now they see me eating at that market eating that meat right. and they think well i guess you can believe in God and that other and uh, Artemis or uh, you know whoever the Corinthian you know the Corinthian goddess or God was, and and then they get tripped up in their faith. Mm-hmm. What Paul's saying is, you are free to eat whatever you want to eat, but don't use your freedom in a way that burdens somebody else. I think a good analogy for this in our current context is, you're free to drink alcohol. Yep. There's nothing against that. But let's say that you're drinking alcohol in a way that burdens the conscience of somebody that's in recovery. Right. You know, be be aware of the ways that you are causing problems for other people. You, your freedom to drink alcohol might cause problems for somebody uh, who yes. um, has has problems with that. Okay. Like, don't let your freedom bother somebody else's conscience. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that to to go off of that, it's it's being prepared to advocate and and explain the piece of faith, not just for for the biblical context, but for us as well. Here, it's 1 Peter 3, right, that says, you know, always be ready to testify as to your your own hope. And so I think the the important thing is going to be like, like I I enjoy some of the really awesome breweries we have around Des Moines. And some people might think if you're coming from a tradition where that's like your spiritual leader would never be seen mm-hmm. at Big Grove or mm-hmm. Exile or something like that, mm-hmm. they'd see they'd see me there and they'd be like, "Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. He does anyone know he's here?" Mm-hmm. And, and and so if if you were to come if that conversation happened there, we need to be ready cuz that's also causing like we need to be ready and being unprepared to be able to have that conversation as Christians is also uh, a piece of helping somebody not stumble is being able to to lead in that way as well well said both of you the the last part of that question was what does it mean and not mean to be free in Christ yeah and this isn't just here in chapter 8 verse 9 this is repeated over and over again Paul's pretty clear chapter 7 verse 22 remember if you're a slave when the Lord called you you're now free in the Lord uh, chapter 10, verses 23 and following. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but that doesn't mean everything's good for you. You right. say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. So there's ditches on both sides, like right. there often is on these things. One is you can go too far and saying, well, since I'm free, I can just do whatever I want. I Not only can I go and enjoy you know, uh, uh, the local breweries, 
but I can go and get drunk and do whatever I want and, and party like right, it's right, 1999 right. and you know <laughs> do this whole thing. And it, well, actually, you can't is, right. is what Paul's saying. Yeah. You, you you can go within the boundaries, but at a certain point, we're we're going to take that too far. Right. So so it's not just free to do whatever we want in Christ. Sure. It, we're free to be a new creation. We're free to align ourselves with who God made us to be. We're set free for things. We're mm-hmm. not just set free from things. Yeah. We're, we yeah. are set mm-hmm. free from the stuff that kept us from doing what God has created and yeah. called us to do. And so we're set free to love, and we're set free to serve, and yeah. we're set free to forgive, and we're set free to build bridges mm-hmm. of harmony, and we're set free to proclaim the good news of, of God's love through Christ and invite people to meet Jesus. That's how we're supposed to use our freedom. And, and we're going to get to that later, too, because Paul gets to it later and says, I've enslaved myself to everybody. I've made myself a slave and a servant of everybody else in my freedom. Yeah. Now we're getting it right. Yeah. We're, we're yeah. Not, it's not just some sort of personal thing. It's like, well, I'm free to do whatever I want. You are. That's mm-hmm. act, actually in Christ mm-hmm. you are. And yet with that freedom faithfully applied, we're going to be actually not just set free to do whatever. We're set free, actually, more accurately, biblically, we're set free to serve. We're set free to glorify God. Yep. Yeah, that's good. You guys talk a lot about the context of where these things came from, but I think it's helpful to hear talk about those things, like the freed, free in Christ is still relevant to us today. Yes. Very different than where how we talk about like where this came from. Yeah, for but sure. But all of those things is is still us. It is. One that one more ending verse that's just too good not to, to hit. It's 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 31. Paul sums it up. He says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. In our hearts, I think we know. Is this God-glorifying behavior? Mm-hmm. Okay. If it, if it is or if it's in the realm of neutral, go, do it. But if it isn't, nah, don't don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the Church of God. I true try to, try to please everyone, Paul writes, in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me. I do right. what is best for others so that they may be saved. Okay, this one's going to be fun. Let's ask three <laughs> preachers about paying preachers, because you're perhaps maybe the not most unbiased panel. But tell us, what does the Bible say about supporting preachers and ministers? Because it says something. Right. So we talked about context earlier, as well as the the, the context of the day. Uh, and one of the things that Paul's talking about is, hey, I need to not be burdened with the money, the, the, the moral ambiguity of being paid for the words that I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But a lot of what he's talking about is what the main point is. You said keep the main thing the main thing earlier. Mm-hmm. He was saying, I should be willing to preach mm-hmm. anytime that I'm going to preach. It's, it's not a question of, you know, did they fulfill my writer? You know, were there green M&Ms in the green room? You know, or what, it, what it, <laughs> to take, I guess that's a modern example. But like the, uh, the that's <laughs> no what. No one here does that, by yeah. the way. It, Ben does. <laughs> ben does. Yeah. Ben, does. Uh, <laughs> ben asked for, uh, no, yeah. Yeah. I'm just no, kidding. It's, it's very important. I'll even look directly at the camera like I'm not supposed to. Um, it, ben does not do that. But the, <laughs> I joke because this can be a tense thing for a lot of people but the the, the that's true the yeah. po- the point of, that I'm trying to make is there is so much to our jobs that is not preaching right right there's so many different things that we're doing as we what Paul's talking about around preaching is we need to be ready to testify at any point in our lives as to the hope that God is giving us. We need to be willing to talk to anybody at any point. It does not matter how many people are in the room to qualify something as preaching. We need to be the type of people that walk the walk of what we're talking about. Our lives are preaching nearly as much as our words are. And so as we continue to testify to other people, talk to people about what our faith is, because we are teachers naturally teach the things that we know, that's going to happen regardless of whether or not um, that is in our job description. But, um, you know, the, it, the, the, you'd say, well, where is the modern applicational line for that? Well, uh, are you in this role because of the paycheck? Are you in it because it's a calling on your life? It's a good question. And I don't think, you know, for, for us, we are... 
Um, we need to be able to provide for families and different things along those lines. But none of us got to, to say it candidly because people appreciate it. Um, none of us got into this role because it's the world's best paycheck. Mm-hmm. But we're doing it because it's we're called to from God. Right. And it's because that's the main point we know that we're on the right side of that. Well, with uh, in today's day and age, when you look at things like all the podcasts and documentaries that are out about preachers and and pastors that have failed, mm-hmm. you, and and just colloquially as you as you talk with different people, this is a really sticky point for some people. So we have to be really sensitive about this. There's people right. who have been really hurt yeah. by pastors who have done this wrong and and, and are doing it for the wrong and are things. doing it for the wrong things. Right. And and I can think of specific examples that I won't mention of people that are um, not pastors that I know personally, but I've seen on TV, etc. That are just doing it, are doing it for the wrong reasons, and they are they are maligning the gospel for this. Mm-hmm. And so Paul is concerned about that. Paul's concerned about the way that people will perceive him. Paul's concerned about the way people will receive him or not, based on whether or not he's doing this for the right reason or not. And I think we we need to be too. I want you to know that this is a church that takes really serious. I'm going to look at the camera too. <laughs> takes really seriously <laughs> your offering dollars yeah, and yeah. and. And we're we have open books here, and yep. you you know, you can know that what you give to hope is used faithfully. And if you have questions, we want to a- answer those questions. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, what Paul is saying is that um, the the preacher is is giving you something worthwhile, and and I think that's true. They're, all the things here at Hope that we do, we couldn't do without your giving. You know, um, none of us as pastors could take this time on Wednesday during the middle of the day if we had a blue-collar job, you know, digging a ditch somewhere. And if you think this is worthwhile, think about the ways that it means something to you. That's what Paul's saying in yeah. 1 Corinthians 9. You've been served mm-hmm. by the folks who preach the gospel to you and minister, mm-hmm. not just preach, but minister to you and serve you. And if that's the case, then... To be fair to them, mm-hmm. they need to be able to um, provide for themselves and their families, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is implied. Uh, it's not implied that they need to be able to provide. That's direct. I mean, Paul's saying, look, the people who serve deserve their pay. Yeah. And and that's just blatant, and it's black and white, and it's right mm-hmm. in Scripture. And he dedicates the better part of a whole chapter right. of First of Corinthians to this topic, probably Mostly, he's doing it for the sake of his colleagues, for the sake of the other yeah. apostles who are out there doing what they do, because Paul has the respect of so many by this point. Right. He mm-hmm. has the reputation. And so as sort of the leader of the pack of apostles, he's saying, look, some of the apostles aren't making it. They're, they're not able to, to survive, and that's not okay. That's, that's not right. And if they, don't, if they aren't able to survive and make ends meet, then they're not going to be able to continue, and that's mm-hmm. going to hurt the mission, mm-hmm. and that's going to hurt the church. So, Ben, you said it well. Chris, you said it well. Um, I think a church has a responsibility, and we try to mm-hmm. fully embrace that responsibility with transparency and also with fairness. I can't emphasize the word fairness enough. We need we need the way we handle money to be fair to the church and people who give offerings, and that we're taking good care of it and being good stewards of it and faithful stewards. And we also need it to be fair to the people who serve on staff here. And so with that, we don't just willy-nilly pull it out of the air and just say, we, we'd subscribe to a massive survey of churches. And so we say, well, we're going to hit the middle of that for everybody mm-hmm. who works here. It takes all the pressure off yep. in, in a sense. Mm-hmm. It's not like, well, I'm going to campaign for more money. It would just say, well, this is what churches pay somebody who's doing what you're doing, and that's mm-hmm. what we're going to pay you. It really makes it simple. It really mm-hmm. makes it easy. And it keeps us from saying things like, well, I've got a jet. I just want a faster jet, which a TV preacher said famously. <laughs> Apparently, I found out before this podcast once. Um, and, and the problem with that, and we see this in the documentaries that you mentioned, Ben, the pro- that shows churches that have lost their way. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they're big mega churches. And that's dangerous because it hurts the cause of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And if you peel back some layers, you see leaders, church leaders, preachers and teachers and ministers who their motivations seem to change from Christ to what's in this for me? Mm-hmm. 
And, and what can I get out of it? And what, what can I make from this? And, and, and how can I get rich and famous out, out of this? If that's our motivation as preachers and teachers and ministers, we're in trouble. And that hardly ever ends well. No. But if our motivation is truly, like Paul will say later, I want to bring Christ to everybody so that some can be saved, mm-hmm. which is the motivation. Uh, I think if you peel back all the layers of hope's heart, this church's heart, you'll see that's really what drives us, is we just want to get this word connected into people's hearts because it transforms the world. Yeah. To our next question, help our podcast listeners better understand Paul's statement that he has become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. What's his point and has he gone too far? So this section in in 1 Corinthians 9 is specifically where it's talking about, I believe it's verse 9 through 20, 19 through 23, talks a lot about how uh, that some language that you might find in like the NIV, I believe the language is becoming a slave to win people. Then he go, uh, Paul goes on to describe all the people that he, the different people he will become a slave to in order to win them. And the problem with this, this verse for on the surface level is that those two, the two words that mean a lot of different things to us as 21st century leaders is winning someone and uh, being a slave to someone. Mm-hmm. Those are two phrases that have a lot of baggage that they don't, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that Paul's not meaning in this moment. So um, looking at the translation of the words, you could, you could say that looking to, um, he is becoming a servant to influence people. And in the day and age, religious leaders, especially coming from the tradition that Paul came from, he, shoot, he was one himself. Mm-hmm. Um, the, they were inc- they were meant to be served. Mm-hmm. They were meant to be revered, and they were meant to be respected and served because of who they were, mm-hmm. not because of anything that they have done. And so what this is is Paul flipping on its head, I'm not afraid yeah. to go be where those people are. I'm not afraid to, mm-hmm. we talked about freedom, in Christ, I am not afraid to step into these circumstances of other people in order to show them how much Jesus loves them, to influence them. You know what influences people more than anything else? It's not some sense of coercion. What it is is I'm showing them how much that they are loved by God, and that influences more than anything. So he's saying he's not afraid to step into those spaces uh, because that's that love is the type of thing that influences people more than it, anything else. It sounds like it's to show his willingness. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wherever there's freedom, there's also responsibility. Mm-hmm. I think that's what immaturity there should be. cheats us out should of. Be. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. if, if it's actual freedom, there's actual responsibility that goes with that. There, there is a saying in our country, like freedom isn't free, right? There has, there had to be somebody that took responsibility for the things that led to our freedom. Right. And if we have freedom without responsibility, it really quickly devolves into chaos, mm-hmm. right? So Paul sees that his freedom is there for the sake of being responsible for the ministry that he's given him, uh, that God has given him. Now, for us, we're set free in Christ. Like you said earlier, we're not set free. We're set free from our sin. We're set free from our old life, but we're set free to something. What are you set free to? Think about that. Like, what are you set free to? And Paul sees that the freedom that he's set free to is the freedom to share the gospel without worrying about like, okay, am I uh, acting like a Jew now? Or am I, and he says, when I am with the Jews, I start to act like I was a Jew. Well, he, it's really funny because he is a Jew, right. right? So for him to say that, he's he's subverting his Jewish identity to his identity in Christ, which is a really important thing for each of us to take into context of like whatever your whatever other identity you have, are you willing to subvert it for the sake of the gospel? It's really important and. Paul's using himself as an example here. Yeah. He's saying, take me for example, because I'm free. And he's writing to a Corinthian church, uh, these Christians who, who would find their freedom in three different things. One is they're free because they're Romans. So they have a, if they aren't careful, they'll get an ego about that. Uh, we have a national superiority. We're the best. We're Romans. Secondly, they're free because of their education. Corinthians had a reputation for having a lot of knowledge, a lot of wisdom, a lot of ed- highly educated. So they could say we're free because we're smarter than other people. Our education sets us free. And some of this kind of transfers to us today. We, we can certainly go there as Americans who are highly educated. And third, they believed as part of the church now, 
this is a new thing for them, those who are Corinthian Christians, that they're free in Christ. They don't have to follow their old religious Jewish laws. But Paul's saying, actually, like you just said, both of you, mm-hmm. that freedom comes with a responsibility. Yep. That freedom comes with something more. That, what, what are we going to do with that freedom? What are we free to become? Well, we're free to serve. We're free to give. We're free to love. What Paul's saying in the end, I just love. It's inspiring to me. He says, I'll become all things to all people for the sake of the gospel. Right. It, it, to sum it up, I, when I'm with weak people, I'll be weak. And by weak, he doesn't mean like physically weak. Right. He means those who are like, I think I have to eat certain things in order to get right with God. Well, I'm not going to turn that into the main thing, which is the way so many Christians are tempted to do these days. We say, well, I can't hang out with Christians who celebrate Halloween. I can't, I can't hang out with Christians who have Christmas trees because, you know, that's rooted in a pagan thing. And, and so and it gets back to that ceremonial stuff that we talked about before. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you offer food as a sacrifice to idols, you don't want to engage in any of that at all. That's just terrible. And, and somehow as if that darkness is greater than the freedom we have in Christ, mm-hmm. that in Christ we actually don't get, need to be intimidated by any of that stuff. So go ahead and get your Christmas tree. Go ahead and get some candy for your kids, uh, you know, on yeah. Halloween. And, and, and we, we, aren't pay, we aren't like being evil or being unfaithful because we're doing that. But when we make Christianity all about that, right. we actually reduce it. Yeah. We think we're taking it. We, the, the, the facade is, oh, we're taking it more seriously now. We're, we're really locked in. We're, we're, we're really applying it to our daily lives. But Paul's saying, actually, you're doing the opposite. Mm-hmm. But Paul will say, if I'm with people who don't celebrate Halloween, I won't. Mm-hmm. I won't either. If I'm with people who don't want a Christmas tree, I'm not going to make it all about that. Because right. it's not about, I just won't put a tree up then yeah. if I'm in that culture. Because it's about something more. Paul's bottom line here is he says, it's not about us, the messengers. It's about the message. Yeah. It's not about me, Paul's saying. So I'll be a slave. I'll be a slave to the people who do their religion this way or that way so that I can point them to Christ. Why? This is the thing. It just, I mean, it brings me to, like, it gets me emotional because mm. heaven is writing on it. I mean, mm-hmm. et- eternal life is writing on this. Mm-hmm. We're not playing around with like small little religious things here. Mm-hmm. We're talking about people's eternal destinies. We're talking about mm-hmm. where this is all going to go and, and, and where it's going to all end up when it's all said and done. Paul's saying, you know, for the sake of that, for the sake of winning people to that, yeah. in a good def- definition of the word winning, in, for the sake of uh, saving some, who cares about the secondary stuff? It's worth giving up my Christmas tree. Yes. If, if somebody else goes to heaven, right. I'll give up my Christmas I, tree and my wreath I'll, and my stocking. I'll stop eating pork. I'll stop, you know, <laughs> right. and, and let, let's not make it all about, oh, we do this and you do that, or we sing these songs and you don't sing these songs, or we worship with this style, you know. Stop it. And that's Just stop making it about that. It's about Jesus. So it's about true. the message of Christ. And that's what I'm talking about with res- responsibility and freedom. There's a lot of people that express their freedom in a way that's about rubbing it in somebody else's face. Yep. And that's not at all what Paul is talking about. If that's the way that you're doing it, you're doing it wrong. You're free for the sake of somebody else. When we make Christianity about all the secondary things, we lose Christ. Yeah. We lose the cross. We lose what it's really all about. Well, and the beautiful thing that uh, in what he's doing of of kind of subverting all of these different titles that people put around themselves, what he's doing is operating in the truth of the kingdom, is that those distinctions aren't really a thing. No. There is no, yeah. there's not really such a thing as all of this. And, you know, the, the whole message of Jesus is that everyone is actually God's chosen people. Yes. And so it's just the beautiful thing so is tell that them. this, exactly one, this sounds like uh, such a controversial thing, I'm sure at the time. And even to us, it's funny because we can look and say, well, of course. God loves everybody, but we could cover up those names that they say, I'll be this for this person and I'll be, I'll hang out with mm-hmm. these people for this reason. We all have our own modern day versions of those things, but to, to operate in the truth of, the, of Jesus's kingdom is to recognize that those things actually don't fight us because we're all children of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's about the gospel. Yep. Does the frequently quoted 1 Corinthians ten thirteen tell us that God will not give us more than we can handle or is it deeper than that? Uh, it's definitely the second one. It's deeper. <laughs> yeah, take, know, take, ever, take us deeper, Ben. I don't know if you've ever seen this podcast, but it's usually the second one. <laughs> it's never been like, Wait, no, it's just that. Is, it, it's is like, it just a service thing or is it deeper? It's like the yeah. kid at the children's sermon. <laughs> <laughs> the pastor asks a question and the kid goes, 
Well, I'm pretty sure you're describing a squirrel, but I'm going to say Jesus because that's always the answer. Yeah. And that's the answer here too, right? So look at what we have. Here we have Paul going through the history of Israel, and yeah. he's talking about the different things that they've been through uh, and the, the ways they suffer because of their choices. And, um, you know, he talks about the different trials throughout the wilderness. And then he says, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall, right? If you think you're standing firm, like... You should be humble, too. And this is a good lesson for each of us. It's just a wise thing. Like, anytime you feel like you got your life figured out, the chances are that you need to reevaluate, right? And then he says, the temptation in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not sh- allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way that you can endure. Right, and this is important for us to keep in mind because this has become a Christian platitude. Mm-hmm. It, and when I say that a Christian platitude, uh, there's different things Christians will say to others to dismiss themselves from somebody else's pain. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, well, th- th- uh, there's great examples of this that good. aren't biblical. That, that Christians will just say, people will just say, like, uh, you know, um, somebody's loved one will die. Well, well, God just needed another angel and ha- that's just not true. That's not how that works uh, on so many levels. But why did you say that? Because you're uncomfortable with the other person's pain right. and you're trying to keep them at arm's length. Well, this is the way that this verse is used. And I think that's really tragic. When somebody talks about the things that they're suffering, They'll say, well, God won't tempt you more than you can handle. And it's a way of kind of dumping back on the person the suffering that they're facing. And that's tragic and not okay and not Christian. When we take a step back and say, what does this verse actually say? It's an encouragement. Paul's talking about a lot of really hard things in the history of Israel and in our lives and in the lives of the first century Corinthians. But he's also saying... But don't worry, God's got you because he's faithful. Thinking, and, yeah, please, and, please finish. I'm sorry. No, no, that's okay. And and when you think about that, he, he, it says that he will show you a way. What is the way? It sounds like a squirrel, but it's actually Jesus. Jesus. It's, it does right? get to Jesus. And, and, and in this way, uh, you see uh, it's when you're tempted, don't use it as a way to say, well, God obviously tempted me more than I can... Uh, handle and therefore I'm excusing my bad behavior. Like, mm-hmm. don't this doesn't let you do that, and it doesn't also let you dismiss somebody else's suffering and say, well, obviously God's gonna t- not gonna tempt you more than you can handle. So just buck, you know, suck it up, Buttercup. Yeah. Instead, we're encouraged to see uh, that God is with us even when you're facing trials. I think that's a great summary. Thanks for taking us deeper. I hear a lot of people say this, not just as, hey, you know, God will never tempt you uh, with more than you're able to handle. They say, God's not going to give you more than you right, can handle, right. which is even worse, it, it, because that leads us down a pathway of saying, oh, well, you know, uh, any this does get back to what yeah. you were saying, that, oh, if you're up against something, if you're really challenged by something, don't worry, yeah. because you can handle it. And so now we're self-made. Now, now right. it's like, well, I guess I got to handle this on my yeah, own, right. which is going to actually steer us away exact opposite direction right. of where the scriptures would want us to go. So the mm-hmm. my short answer to that is, is that really true? Here's a more biblical answer. The world will always give us more than we can handle, but the world can't give us more than God can handle. Exactly. Right. And so with Christ, go ahead, Chris. No, I was just going to say that, that that exact thing is that notice that God is the answer and everything yeah. that Ben said. It's not that we can't handle things. We prove constantly that there's very basic things we can't handle. It's, uh, it's <laughs> right. God is God, God is the one that can can handle it all. Yeah. And so I think the, the important thing also for that modern application that you're talking about of God will never give us anything that we can't handle. Yeah. Well, what is does it mean to handle something right like what it, a lot of times yeah. what people think of when they're saying that is oh man i feel you know, I feel discomfort or I stepped yeah. actually into tension in my life, yeah. but God will never give me anything that I can't handle. 
um, so I shouldn't be here. They like some of the cop outs that you're talking about. It's mm -hmm. because to handle something means to never have to experience discomfort. Where instead, God is often yeah. inviting us to to those places where we're feeling uncomfortable, so that we know ourselves better, know God better, and be more the people of who God. Uh, invited us. Maybe to it's better to say God will never give us more than God can handle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and and even that, like I, you know, to say that God is giving you the suffering you're suffering isn't necessarily true yeah, either. It's not. Sometimes no. there that that is a hundred percent true. So, that's the other problem with it. But we need to move on. Yeah, yeah. I want to do one quick write-in we got in response to some of these that says, "How do you serve those who seem to be negatively impacting your life, or that you've had to cut out of your life for your own well-being?" Uh, that's a great question. Thank you for submitting that during this podcast. And we get to as many of those as we can. Mm -hmm. So when you're, when you're having trouble with that and you're dealing with how, how do I do that for somebody who is making it very hard for me to want to love them, to want to mm -hmm. serve them, to want to give to them. Um, I think that's when it's important to let God's will take over for our own. And so there again, God has a way of working through us. If we're filled up with God's grace, it's easier to pour out of us uh, for others. When when Paul talks about freedom right, and the the bondage that we experience in the opposite of that, what I think a big part of it is we're free in Christ, therefore we don't have any insecurity. When when you are living under the law, you're you're insecure that you're going to do enough, you know, and that can get into the way that we talk about First uh, Corinthians ten, the, the verse we were just mentioning. But in in this space, I think this is important with boundaries too. Like, am I serving this person because I'm insecure? Am I serving them because I'm, I have a codependent relationship with them? Am I serving them because I feel like I'm not doing enough? Am I serving them from a weird place? Am I serving them from a place of Christian freedom that I know I have enough and I am enough and then I choose to? Is it for me? Yeah. Is it for them? Yep. I hear a health part of that question, perhaps. And so I don't think serving people means you have to put yourself in an unhealthy spot that's right, right. for you. Never. Right. Can... Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. I think that's really yes. important, Emily. Yep. You should you should not put yourself in harm's way yeah. as you're serving. Somebody else can serve those You can folks. love somebody that's from right. a distance. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, should women wear head coverings to church on Sunday and should <laughs> men cut their long hair? What is it about? Yeah, what is this all about? <laughs> yeah. and, and we're putting the title on the screen is Am I Amishing Something Here? Um, <laughs> the... There and would do with all due respect to religious traditions that would say women should wear head coverings and men and something else, no head coverings. And they get this from right here in First Corinthians chapter eleven. So if we're not careful, people will say, "Well, it's interesting how we we select, you know, conveniently." So when it comes to some of the stuff we covered last week, you know, the the stuff about how we relate to one another and everything. Well, that's that's in the Bible. That's in the, we we got to follow that. And now when it comes to head coverings, well, we don't, you know, we don't need to follow that. That's pretty convenient. So we say, well, if you're going to take seriously the first part of First Corinthians, then how do you not take this part seriously? We are taking it seriously. Mm -hmm. But to do that, we have to go into the context of what's happening in first century Corinthian life. We aren't sure about this, but most biblical scholars that I trust are confident in saying any woman who wouldn't be walking around in public places in first Corinthian culture, uh, first century Corinthian culture would be prostitutes. They'd be the only ones who wouldn't have the head covering on. And so Paul's saying, if you show up, even though women, you're free in Christ, you don't have to wear a head covering. That is true in that culture where that's not an issue for us today. In 21st mm -hmm. century culture, women don't wear head coverings. That doesn't mean anything about prostitution or not prostitution. It's, it's not an issue. But in that culture, it was. So cultural norms are stronger than we probably assume. It, it dictates what we wear. It dictates how we look. It dictates all sorts of things. Look, look at any group of 10th grade girls, and they probably all, 98% of them have the same hairstyle. I mean, there, there's going to be, cultural pressures are huge, mm -hmm. and those norms start to set a, a precedent. So if women are coming into church and saying, I'm free in Christ, so I can just let my hair down, I don't have to put any head covering on, fine. Paul's saying, yeah, true, you're free, but in the culture, that's going to distract some people from worship. And then he's again getting back to, let's let the main thing be the main thing. I don't want you to do anything to distract people at worship. So, so don't do that. Be respectful. Stay within the cultural norms of first century and Corinthian culture and don't go there. There's also a part of this passage where a lot of people, men and women, get upset and concerned because Paul is making it pretty clear. He's saying, well, Men are the head of the house, or men are the, men are the, husbands are the head of wives, 
And I don't want to just brush that aside and not deal with it because this, you know, people will be like, oh, you're reading through this, but what is that? What is, is, how do we apply that? The Greek word here for head doesn't mean superiority. It's more like the head of a river. Mm-hmm. It's the source, in other words. So I was in Chicago for 4th of July. There's Lake Michigan, which is the source of the Chicago River. It, it flows in usually, although they turned it around because of flooding this week. <laughs> How you turn a river around, <laughs> engineering-wise, I don't know, but they did. That's nuts. So they, they turn it around for that purpose. So I also remember a scene from my big fat Greek wedding, the, the first one. <laughs> Where the mom says to the young daughter who's getting married, uh, yes, the, the man is the head of the wife, but the wife is the neck uh, and, and gets to control where the head is pointed uh, at all times. And so there's a, there's a lot more equality there than maybe we want to uh, admit. More than the silly part of that, the way Paul defines head, I think here is important. You're, mm-hmm. the, you're the source. You're the one who's there to serve. You're the one who's there to give. Mm-hmm. You're, you're the men. If you're married, you're there to serve your wife and to be the source of life uh, for her. And then Paul, you know, equates this to, compares this to creation. And he says, the woman was made from the man. Of course, since then, every human being has been made from women, has been created of women. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so he's just saying, look, just be who God made you to be. And when you come to worship, don't pretend to be something that God didn't make you to be. Embrace who God made. Because it'll go better for you, and it'll go better for the community. It'll go better for the church. Well, and the differences matter. Like when when we see what Paul's doing, and what all of Christianity is doing. There's this radical mutuality. There's this radical equality. We can't really overstate how um, revolutionary that was in the yeah. first century. And and then he's saying uh, because I think that's they're probably getting tripped up is the differences between men and women are also important. Mm-hmm. You're not you're not more uh important than the other. Right. You're equal, right. but that doesn't mean you're the same. And and so that I think that's one of the things he's highlighting here too is uh there's a verse that is often mistranslated is saying the covering on the woman's head is uh is her authority. And mm-hmm. a lot of the translations will say is a sign that she's under authority, but it doesn't say that. It's no, saying it that because she is honoring herself as a woman and and pre, uh, preaching out loud and praying out loud as a woman, she has an authority that she wouldn't have if she was pretending to be a man. I think, too, the really important thing is we, we keep talking. A lot of times uh, when we have conversations oh. around gender and then we we end up saying well this is how men are supposed to be and this is how women are supposed to be and that's not what we're saying here but that's usually what this devolves into you said just be the person that god made you to be the problem is is any time that you pretend to be someone different than god than 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 the person that you're made to be when in those these moments where all of a sudden you're you're saying well i'm just going to try to be that i'm a man and i should just try to be just like mike and even if it comes from like a really healthy place, you're still completely neglecting the things that you were made to be. Right. Even if it's the best dude in the world. Right. I, I tell this to our men's ministry all the time. I'm like, please do not try to pretend to be somebody else because you are. I tell lo- preachers that all the time yeah. too. Yeah. Well, yeah. You're, you're just trying to, what you're essentially doing and that sometimes people are like, oh yeah, thanks. You're like just trying to make us feel mm-hmm. nice about no, ourselves. It's no, biblical. You're, you're mm-hmm. depriving the kingdom. Every time I do a baptism, I always, Tell, tell the kid or the adult, whoever it happens to be, yeah. it, you are called to let your light shine yeah. because if you don't, that light doesn't get shown. Yeah, there's in not, God's it's kingdom. Not, it's not, if you aren't going to be who God made you to be, then that person doesn't happen and in we'll, God's kingdom. We'll and he suffer. made you yeah. to be who you are. You yeah. don't have to be a certain kind of man. Just be the man or the woman that God made you to exactly. be. Exactly. Yeah, yep. we, we need to move on yeah. again. What does it mean to examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight? I think that it's really easy to um, think about your Trader Joe's shopping list at the end of a church service. Like we see it all the time and yeah. it's, it's, I just want to yeah. say it's, we actually can see, there's no like magic wall where we can't see past the stage. Yeah. Like we see some people that are like, well, 
we went kind of long today. It's time to time to head out. Maybe I'll just skip out on this. Because in the Bible it says it has to be a certain amount of time. Oh yeah. wait, oh wait, it doesn't. Yeah, that's yeah. tradition. Well, and I'm ju- I just point that out because you know it. it I see it happen, but yeah. the 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 important thing is is that we're not on autopilot when we do this. No, we mm. the point Let's of ex- take it seriously. The point mm. of the point of examining mm. exactly what we believe about baptism as I've gone through the ordination process. You know, you have yeah. to reevaluate what you know the Book of Concord and all yeah. of these, as well as scripture talking about what we as Lutherans believe about baptism. Yeah. It's really powerful stuff. There's baptism is one of the set apart ways that God communes with people. Yeah. And oh my goodness, how important that is. Yeah. And uh, so just, just saying that this is actually a really important thing. Yeah. And so if we're just bringing uh, if we're not bringing our full selves to those moments, it's not that, oh, you should feel guilty about that. You're missing the gift. Yeah, that's so true. You really, you're experiencing the presence of God in a powerful way. Yeah. And you're mistreating each other. That's another thing is that, you know, they were mistreating each other. Uh, because it was a meal at that point. They did it differently than we than we did. And there were people that were eating way too much and not living any for any other anyone else. And they were getting drunk. Yeah, that's a problem. And, and yeah, like Paul's like, what are you thinking? Yeah. Like, if you're hungry, eat at home and then come. And then let this be about the love and connection that you have together. They're minimizing it. The Corinthian, the, the, some are getting drunk. Some are getting left out. So there's a divide between poor and rich too. So transferable principle for us today. This is why the Bible's so relevant for us. We're not just reading about something in history. It's right. interesting to be like, oh, you can kind of tell by what Paul's saying, what was the problem with the first century Corinthians when it came to the worship and the Lord's Supper. But transferred to us today, we can downgrade or minimize the sacrament of Holy Communion. We, right. we can make it less than. We could be focused on something else or just going through the motions or making it a ritual or just something that we do as a tradition in the church, mm-hmm. which is tempting. I mean, I, I think we've all probably faced that temptation at times. Oh, this doesn't mean much. I'm just going to go through it and boy, it's getting late. Uh, or I, the line is so long or gosh, the wine tasted different today or, or something that's just not the thing. Oh man, they had the wafers instead of the non yeah. today. Or yeah. we can, or on the other side, we can turn it into a magic show where here right. comes the magic elements to magically forgive our sins and save us in some unknown way. But it's what we do so I can get done. And then I'll feel like, well, you know, at least I'm covered for the next week or so. Right. That's not what it is. That's mm-hmm. also minimizing it. Or we can get to the heart of the sacrament, experience the full power. That's what Paul's saying to the Corinthian right. church. And I think that's what transfers to us. And we can understand when we worship, it's not a gata, it's a gita. What a blessing it is to be able to gather together to hear the good news of God's love for us and to share in this meal where past and future come together in the present. Yeah. Because we're remembering a past event. We're also looking forward to the future hope of, of the resurrection of all of us. through faith in Christ by God's amazing grace, but we're experiencing in the present through the bread and the wine, which is the body and blood of Christ. So minimizing that, you know, thinking that this is just a, well, something we got to get to or or get through. It's so much bigger than that. It's, it's a, it's a privilege. It's an honor to be invited Mm -hmm. to this meal. And uh, we'll have that meal this weekend. It's every Sunday at nine o'clock at our traditional service yeah. and once a month at all of our other ones mm-hmm. and, and here and there at some other times too. So find a church near you. I know a lot of you tune into this podcast all over the place. Understand that worship this weekend is a, it's a holy thing. It's, it's, it's not a party. It's not a celebration. It's not a religious ritual. Uh, it's not magic. It's a real. TED talk. It's, a, it's, te- not, it's a not a TED, TED talk. It's down to earth. <laughs> experience of a God who shows up in the in in the word and shows up in the sacraments and shows up for us in a very real and a very meaningful and a transformational eternally life-saving way my goodness what could be better than that I mean that that's why Paul says I'll I'll do whatever I'll be enslaved to everybody so that I can get that word out and that's exactly how I feel we want you to know this Jesus and we want him to be the one who uh, changes everything for you now and forever. We'll see you at church this week. Thanks for joining us today. Please make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite platform, and we'll see you next time.